most professions have um, some kind of jokes that are told about them. You've probably heard them. You know, there are jokes about uh, teachers, jokes about lawyers, jokes about doctors, jokes, probably jokes about farmers. And unfortunately, there are jokes about ministers, too. One of the favorites is, must be nice to work one day a week. I always laugh when people say that, you know. And what's funny is that people tend to say those things to you, say that to me as if I've never heard that before. I've heard it before. Um, but, you know, it's, we all have, we all do this. You know, we all, we all have uh, jokes about our professions. I heard about a, a minister who was talking about that very thing. And he was talking about how, you know, people, he has friends in the business world. They'll call him at, you know, 1030 on a weekday morning and say, oh, I didn't get you out of bed, did I? Or, uh, you know, or he'll, one guy called him one day and said, um, you, know, you guys have got it made. He said, if it's a good day, you get up, you study a little, make a few calls, and sort of kick back and take it easy. If it's a bad day, you just roll over in bed, say a few prayers, and go back to sleep. And this pastor said to him, your comment tells me two things about you. One is, you know very little about the ministry. And the second is, you know even less about prayer. I've been pondering that. As I'm thinking about uh, the prayer events that we are engaging in and thinking about the life of Jesus. Jesus, the Gospels tell us many times when Jesus prays. And as I think about Jesus and prayer, I'm reminded of my own weakness in prayer. And I suspect your feelings of inadequacy about prayer too. It's one of those dynamics of the Christian life that is hard for us because we can't quite get our minds around it. We're always trying to control things and, and figure everything out. And prayer is sometimes hard to figure out. We wrestle to understand what exactly is going on when we pray and what does it look like to pray. It's one of the, one of the I think one of the best things that we've done in these years of having prayer vigils is trying to help each other understand that prayer and what it means to pray is so much bigger than what we typically think. And as I was pondering prayer, my mind went back to Jesus in the picture we find of the, in the Gospel of Mark that we just read. This image of Jesus praying in the garden says something to us about prayer. On this night, Jesus... He's met with his disciples in the upper room. They have shared a meal. He has said to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they all look around and then Judas runs. They leave that room and make their way to the garden. And while they're walking, Jesus says to them, you all are going to run away from me. You're all going to desert me. And of course, they deny it. And they get to the garden and Jesus says to eight of the disciples, you guys stay here. 
And he takes Peter, James, and John into the olive grove. And he says to them, you stay here and pray, and I'm going to go over there and pray. And he says to them, before he he turns to pray, he says to Peter, James, and John, I am in agony of spirit. I, I am in anguish in my soul to the point of death. Mark is the most descriptive of the gospel writers when, when, they, when they picture and tell us about this event. And, and he keeps sort of piling up words to try to, in a sense, describe the indescribable of what Jesus is feeling and the, the depth of anguish and pain and agony that's inside of him as he is hours from his arrest an hour from his arrest and the subsequent events. There are, think about for a moment your own life and think about the moment when you felt the most anguish you've ever felt. It might be because something had happened. It might be because you were afraid about something, that something would happen. You think about that moment, what you felt, what you thought, everything going on within you. And I'm going to guess Jesus feels that and more. We see so clearly the humanness of Jesus here. Now, there are theories about why he feels such deep anguish. Some people say it's because he, he's anticipating the physical torture that he will endure. And I suspect that might be part of it. I mean, he knows what the Romans do to people they consider enemies of the state to criminals. And it's brutal. If you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, a few years ago, you saw laid out for you in graphic Images, the physical suffering of Jesus. But I'm convinced that the more, the deeper anguish that Jesus is experiencing there in the garden is about the emotional and spiritual pain that he is about to endure. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that he who was without sin took upon him our sin. And Jesus has lived all of his life without sinning. We have no concept of that. Jesus never woke up one morning being overwhelmed with remorse about what he did last night. Jesus never had to go to someone and say, please forgive me, I lied to you. Jesus never reacted in a passive-aggressive way toward someone who was irritating him. Jesus never retaliated against people who were hurting him. 
All the ways in which we sin and we fall short and we feel guilt and remorse and shame, Jesus had never experienced any of that. But in a few hours, he was going to take upon himself all the sins of the world, the weight of the sins of of creatures. And, And he's going to feel that guilt and shame and agony of spirit And it was going to cause him to feel, like it does us, that the Father had turned away from him. You know that feeling. When you have done what you know you shouldn't have done, there is a voice inside of us that says, God's given up on you. That it's too much, too often. You're done. And that feeling of emptiness that gets in the pit of our stomach when it seems as though God has abandoned us because of our sin. He hasn't. Scripture makes that clear. But it feels like it. The guilt, the shame gets in the way and Jesus is going to experience that. And I wonder if when he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. It's not so much that he doesn't want to do what he came to do. He doesn't want to set us free from our sin. But is there another way to do that? That doesn't take him to this place of guilt and shame and feeling cut off from the Father. And in this moment of agony and spirit and soul... What does he do? What he's always done. He prays. Read through the Gospels. First recourse of Jesus is to pray. Here in the garden, in this moment of agony, his recourse is to pray. I suspect for most of us, I shouldn't say that. I suspect a lot of times we struggle Because often prayer for us maybe is not our first recourse, but our last resort. We try to do everything we can to fix things, to make things right. And if that doesn't work, then we pray. You've heard people say, maybe you've said it. All that's left now, all we can do now is pray. We've done everything we can do. I guess we'll try God. I guess we'll try to pray. Maybe you've even said to to someone or someone has said to you, how how can I help you? I'll pray for you, but how can I really help you? We tend to view prayer as passive. Jesus sees it as active. And in fact, in this moment of crisis, It is his first recourse. It is the action that he takes. Hen Robinson, my professor at Gordon-Conwell, said that, talks about when he, when you think about Jesus in prayer and us in prayer, is that we tend to see prayer as preparation for the battle. 
For Jesus, prayer is the battle. We tend to see prayer as the prelude that leads us to the real action. For Jesus, prayer is the real action. The battle is won or lost in prayer. It doesn't prepare us to win or lose the battle. It is where the battle is won or lost. For Jesus, prayer is like It's like running a marathon and ministry is like going to get the gold medal. He says prayer is, for Jesus is, is like taking the final exam. And ministry for Jesus is like going to get the diploma. And we tend to see that the other way around. Because of our mindset about prayer, you know, if we were in the garden... We might watch Jesus and think, man, if he's this agonizing, if he's agonizing this much and he's just praying, what's he going to be like when he really starts having to engage opposition? And Jesus would say, this is the moment when I am engaging the opposition. And the answer is to pray. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him into the olive grove and he says to them, you wait here. He says, I'm going to go a little further and pray. And he's, of course, speaking physically about moving his, his body, moving to another place. But there is something figurative about that. That... Jesus moves a little further to pray. And as I thought about that, I'm thinking about how so often our prayers sort of sit on the surface. We say the words, but they don't really go deep. They don't go further. There's not a sense of of staying with prayer until the battle has been settled. When I was a child and we would have times of prayer around the altar rail, I, I can remember many times listening to people engage with those who'd come to pray, if, particularly if they were praying about a burden in their heart or maybe they were praying about a habit or maybe they were praying about forgiveness or something they'd been wrestling with and, and, and they would pray. And then I, I remember my dad or other people asking them, have you settled it? Or they would use the phrase, Have you prayed through? Some of you remember that. I didn't know if I understood. I didn't understand it at the time. But I think what they were saying is, let's stay here and pray until this battle has been won. There was a recognition that praying and sticking with it was where the battle was won or lost. And what they didn't want to do is to get up and feel as though it had been finished when it really wasn't. To say we've surrendered when we really haven't. To say that we've gone deep enough when we are still on the surface. And to do that, quite frankly, takes time and energy and an investment of ourselves. 
You can't just roll over and say your prayers. If you really believe that prayer is where the battle is won or lost. The reality is, if it's important to us, we give our time to it. We invest in it. It's, It's a reality of life. Dennis Kinlaw is one of my spiritual heroes. He's in his 90s now. and I, I would drive a long ways and pay a lot of money to hear him speak. To buy his books. He has had a great impact on my life. I heard him talk once about when he was a freshman in college... He said the one good thing in his life was that he he wanted more of Christ. He he wanted to obey Christ and to live his life for Christ. And as a freshman, he was struggling to do that, but that was his desire. And in the course of his freshman year, he became friends with a senior student who was a, a godly young man. And in the course of conversation one day, Dennis asked him, how, he said, how can I grow more quickly in my relationship with Christ? How can I, how can I more quickly become more like Jesus? And he asked, him, he asked Kinlaw a question. He said, how much time do you spend in prayer? And Dennis said, I, I probably lied to him. I probably exaggerated it. But he answered me with one sentence, two words. All he said was, double it. Double it. And that was the end of the conversation. He walked away. He said, I was working in a bakery at that time. Getting up early in the morning to go to my job. But I knew that this this senior, his practice was to get up early in the morning and to spend significant time in prayer. And, And I decided that I wanted to do the same thing. There was value in that. Because that was a struggle for me because I was about as undisciplined a freshman as you could imagine. But I decided this is what I was going to do. So I set my alarm for an hour earlier. And he said, I can't tell you, only God knows how many times I fell asleep on my knees in prayer. But I don't regret that. Because what became a habit eventually became a delight. And I came to discover, he said, that I could live without a lot of things, but not that time with Jesus. He said, I look back over my life, and, and there are a few significant moments in my life that I can say, those moments changed me. And that was one of them. I wonder what would happen if corporately we all decided together that we were going to double our prayer times, whatever they might be. It's five minutes now, it's 10 minutes. 10 minutes is 20. If it's 30, it's an hour. If it's an hour, it's two hours. And corporately together, I wonder what would happen to us if we committed ourselves to that. Not because there's something magical about extra time, but because what we give our time to says a lot about what's important to us. 
And because we see in Jesus that the battles of life, the struggles, the difficulties, the things in life that get at us, those battles are won or lost in prayer. It's one of the reasons we, we are doing this Lenten prayer emphasis. To give us an opportunity every Thursday to say, I'm going to spend an hour in the prayer room or I'm going to come and spend an hour praying with others. And yes, it's a challenge. And sometimes we wonder, how in the world can we do that? When we look at Jesus, I think the question is, how in the world can we not? And be the people God created us to be and hopefully we want to be. In a few moments, we're going to come to this table and we're going to to take the bread and the cup. And this table takes us back to the cross and what Jesus did for us on the cross. But the cross is rooted in the prayer of Jesus in the garden. And I get a sense, a strong sense, that without the prayer in the garden, what would the cross have been? The battle isn't standing in front of Pilate. The battle isn't dragging the cross up the hill. The battle isn't hanging on the cross as he's mocked. The battle is won in the garden, in prayer. That is the culmination of a life of prayer. What would it look like for us to understand prayer the way Jesus does? Gracious Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. Forgive us that we so often neglect misunderstand are apathetic about this amazing gift you've given us we pray that you will open our eyes in such a way that it will change how we view prayer is the battle Father, as we prepare to eat the bread and drink the cup, we ask that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ that we may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood, that we may faithfully serve him in the world, and that we may look forward to his coming and final victory.
through his grace, we pray. Amen.